everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Jeff. Joining me as usual, the other half of the show, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing today? I think I'm rather not quite a half, maybe three-eighths, you know, which interestingly enough is seven and three-eighths is my hat size, so it seems to fit. Well, that was a weird thing to say, wasn't it? Well, okay. now people know if they're going to buy you a hat. I'm a seven and a half myself, so. <laughs> Send hats. Send hats. I love hats. Yes, definitely. So do I. I. I like them all. In fact, I, my favorite, though, is the one you picked up, Jeff, the Nolan Ryan 34, which is awesome hat. We've got so much to talk about this week. We got a lot of uh, apologizing. Apologizing, a lot of apologies uh, for for something from that everybody caught except for us last Boy, week. I tell you what, man, we caught, uh, we did catch hell. We didn't catch anything else. We wow, so we caused a bit of a stir in Wax Packs Heroes last week. We poked the Cardinals Carpenter Hornets nest, if you will. <laughs> We were talking about the cards always having a carpenter on the team for like the past three decades. And I'm sure that, you know, Bush Stadium does employ several carpenters. But we are talking about the last name here. And what we were we were really thinking about Matt Carpenter, who recently came out of retirement to join the evil empire. We pulled a Chris Carpenter card in Waxpacks Heroes in the uh, the upper deck packs that were gifted to us by a, a listener at Udeck 1990 on Twitter. What we didn't realize, though, is that there is a Chris Carpenter and a Chris Carpenter. Yes. (laughs) Chris C-R-I-S and Chris C-H-R-I-S. Who forgets the the H there? Is that? Um, I've seen it, but like my sister. Oh, I have now. Yeah. (laughs) Like K-R-I-S, I I see a lot, but C-R-I-S just once in a while. Yeah, I'm assuming that this is a very Scandinavian or or something like that. But these two never played together. Now, the one we pulled last week was C-R-I-S, and he had a distinctly shorter and less storied career than the C-H, Chris. Ooh, good verbiage. Very nice. Yeah, so the, the card that we actually pulled last week... Chris Carpenter with no H, he played for eight years, five with the Cardinals. And in 1990, he barely played at all. He only appeared in four games, no record, 4.5 ERA. His war was a 0.0. And I looked up the card. There was nothing on the card that would have gotten any points. Right. So I, I think it all wipes out. It, it all is even, right? Because the, the Chris Carpenter with the H, he didn't appear until 1997. So gotcha. he clearly wouldn't have gotten any war either for that year. Right. So I'm keeping my win, thankfully. I don't have, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get them very often. So I'm. it was, uh, we almost had a, a, our own pine tar incident with Chris Carpenter. There was, we almost it did. Very, it would have been very controversial. Yes. I would have been very <laughs> mad if I had to start Don Magnoli at second base when we restarted. Yes. Well, anyway, uh, we were right. There have been a few Carpenters uh, last name and I'm sure as far as uh, a career, uh, that were employed by St. Louis. So we got that right. We just didn't get the first part right, the important part. And the thing was, <laughs> I know for me, I was keying on the carpenter because I I, keep, I don't pretend to be able to keep track of anything on the Cardinals. But yeah, we got taken to task on social media <laughs> right away, which is good. That's why uh, that's why we enjoy our, our listeners to keep our us listeners are, are brilliant and they don't let us get away with anything, which is good. Good. We, we keep it real that way. 
So I'm going to come clean, Mark. I am not super prepared for this week's show. And the reason being is the new Ricky book that I've talked about in the past by Howard Bryant. It's supposed to come out today. Tuesday, June 7th. That was the that was the release date. I pre-ordered it the day it was announced. I've been counting down the days. I can still see my pre-order is sitting there. It says Tuesday. But then last week I started seeing pictures from some of my my Ricky friends on social media that they had copies and that they were in bookstores. So I immediately jumped in the old two strike noise mobile unit because we don't have an intern to to do these things anymore. Right, if no. And I headed out to my local bookstore, and there it was. I bought a couple of copies. I still have my pre-orders coming, <laughs> but I have been otherwise occupied. I am loving this. This is an adult baseball book. It sounds great. I want to preface what that means. So Ricky has another book that... Uh, I I co-wrote is being generous, but by John Shea, who's a local sports writer here in the Bay Area. It came out many years ago. I've read it many times. I have it on every medium it's been available on. It is a typical baseball kind of biography, autobiography. Very like a, a fifth grader can read it and understand. I think I read it in a day. This is a serious book. It tackles social issues as well as childhood coming up through the minors and and all that. It it is a very adult book that is shedding light on some things that I had no idea ever went on in Ricky's career and that he faced. And I am loving it. I am loving it. It is so great. (laughs) I can't imagine you being really into a a book about Ricky Henderson. I know. Shocking. It is shocking. I'm just so, how thrilled am I, though, that 15 years after he retired, there are still books being published about my favorite player of all time. That is pretty cool. That Yeah, I agree. And you've got a movie that we're trying to track down because the, yeah, the Nolan Ryan movie just came out last week, too. That's right. And, and I haven't seen anything locally yet, but I'm keeping an eye out. I'm going to guess you'll find that on the internet somewhere soon. Yeah. I, I don't think it was a wide release in theaters. <laughs> you, know, you know, it was released into 34 theaters, I believe. Oh, well, see, that would make sense. And they're mm-hmm. probably all in Texas, though, is the thing. <laughs> they're all right around Alvin. Yes. <laughs> all right, so uh, we got to get into a Lars Bar update because it has been a week, and I oh. love it because I don't have to watch Cardinals games. we've made mention before that you and I are AL guys. We don't watch a whole lot of National League baseball, but our DMs light up whenever Lars does anything. And it's great. I love it. That's right. We we know immediately if Lars hits a home run. We do. We don't need to watch that. Uh, They lit up several times last week. First of all, Lars showing off that hose from the outfield against the Padres. Let me set this up. Tie game in the 10th. Runners on first and second. And then this happened. The 0-2. Ground ball left side. Base hit. Against the shift. The throw by Newbar. A strike to the plate. Oh, he got him. It's an outfield assist with the game on the line. Nude here at Bush Stadium. A bullet from left. And the game stays tied. There you go. You don't don't run on Lars, man. No, no, no. Bad idea. But that wasn't even the best part of the week. A couple days later against the Cubs, the Cardinals are up 13 to 5 in the ninth inning. And the Cubs have put first baseman Frank Swindell. Schwindel. I'm sorry. I got to get that Schwin in there. Yes. Schwindel is on the mound. I'm sorry. You could have put Bob Gibson out there when the big dog is at the plate. He's got to eat. Double today with three ground outs, and he drives it out to deep right. 
Back to back, Newt Bar. So it was a home run in the in the annals of baseball history. It's just a home run. It doesn't matter who it's off of. Right. Lars with his first home run of the season in the big leagues there. So uh, as of right now, going into Sunday when we're recording this, his average 133. Uh, well, he's got nowhere to go but up, man. Yeah, his, his on base is 204 and his slugging's 244. OPS plus at a at a 31 right now. So it's um it's a number that's there. He has four RBI. He does have a stolen base though, with no caught stealing. So nice. that's something we like to look at. He's he's doing better since his call up here. He's had uh, let's see a multiple game hit. I think that was the one where he hit the home run. Yeah, and then the uh, a hit the day before. So he's slowly. <laughs> slowly being molded into an all-star very slowly yeah we, we you know it, he's he's new he's unexperienced he's still in young. The big leagues he's learning to hit big league pitching he's on his way to being a star uh, he is 24 years old so he's got he's got time we'll we'll let him keep working on it let's look at some debuts this show is debuting on june 7th there were really no big debut, no Hall of Famers, nobody that really jumped out at me in terms of debuts. So I thought I'd go with a theme here for debuts on June 7th. First of all, we've got Alex Cora made his debut today in 1998. Brother of Joey, Seattle mm-hmm. legend Joey Cora. Uh, <laughs> Alex Cora, also a cheater, obviously. Big yes, cheater. We've, he was we've heard rumors. The only non-player to be implicated in the Astros cheating scandal, scandal, scandal. Also a World Series winning player and manager, but not a World Series winning player manager. We haven't had one of those ah. for, for quite a while. But yes, he's got a couple of rings. Speaking of other former players and managers, uh, Mike Hargrove was known as the human rain delay. Yes. Alex is a contender. He's right up there. He was involved in some long at-bats and some long games. First of all, Dodgers, May 12, 2004. Alex had an 18-pitch at-bat against Matt Clement of the Chicago Cubs. It was a 2-1 count, and Cora fouled off 14 straight pitches. Wow. Before hitting a home run. How just odds wise, how does that happen? And then he hit a home run. That's then he ridiculous. hit a home run. This is tied for the fifth longest at bat since 1988 when they started keeping pitch counts and, and, and bats. This is the only one, though, that has ever resulted in a hit that went on that long, <laughs> let alone impressive. a home run. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem like most of the time when you watch an at bat like that, the guy ends up striking out. Yeah, strike out, or it'll be like a, a weak pop out, foul right. the third base or something. It's. But- to pop one out of the park, that's impressive. Well, especially Alex Cora didn't have a lot of home runs. <laughs> yeah, of timing power. was impeccable. Yeah, so you know? so much time had elapsed during the at-bat uh, that his brother Joey actually joked that he and a friend were watching the game at a restaurant, and they ordered their first beer right as the first pitch was delivered. According to Joey, by the time Cora actually homered, he was so drunk they had to call a cab to take him home. <laughs> I think that might be an exaggeration. Well, exaggeration in baseball? Come yeah, on. <laughs> but Joey, I, I like that. I like the, the attitude. No, that's good. That's good. Cora also played in the two longest nine-inning games in MLB history. The first, a four-hour and 27-minute game in October of 2001 between the Dodgers and the Giants. And the second is the longest nine-inning game on record. It was a four-hour and 45-minute game. 
It was the oh second my. game of a doubleheader in 2006. A game that long, guess who the two teams were that were playing? Uh, the San Antonio Spurs? No, no, but I think you could probably guess that uh, two teams that take themselves so importantly when they play each other, the Red Sox and so the Yankees. Was, yeah, I was going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> and also get this, he managed, if you will remember, the in uh, 2018, the third game, well, he managed all the games, but uh, the third game of the 2018 World Series that went 18 innings and was seven hours and 20 minutes long. There's definitely something weird about him. Yeah. <laughs> Caused that to happen. Like I said, he's Hargrove. It's, he's got the Hargrove syndrome. That's it, yeah. Going on there. Let's take a quick look at Alex Cora's career. He played for 14 years in the big leagues. Uh, so that is very good. A lifetime 310 yep. on base percentage. A lifetime 72 OPS plus. He only had one year where he was over 100 in the OPS plus category. So wow. it's kind of weird to think if somebody had a 14-year career... If you just looked at statistics, right? Yeah, definitely not an average player, like a below average player. Right. And he spent 13 years in the bigs. 14 years. Yeah. And now 14, he's impressive. a World Series uh, winning manager. Of course, he got a ring with the with the Astros, too, with the Asterix. But he also won a World Series with the Red Sox in 2007. His best year was clearly 2004 with the Dodgers. He hit 264, 364 on base, 10 home runs, which his, uh, his career high other than that was five and uh, 47 RBI. But uh, Interesting. And he was not on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. <laughs> That's so, where I was going next. Just so you're aware. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're like 10 seconds ahead of me here. Keeping up with the debuts theme here, making his uh, debut today one year after Alex Cora in 1999 was Chris Woodward, the manager of the Texas Rangers. Oh, yeah. Former Seattle Mariner. Uh, yes. I was going to say, spent two of his last three seasons playing in Seattle, <laughs> which would be good in Wax yeah. Packs Heroes. Extra points. Yep. Uh, his first AB, he had a sack fly off of Oral Hershiser in 1999. His nickname is Woodrow, which I'm down with. That's very, cool. Very formal. 2002, definitely Chris Woodward's best season. That was with Toronto. He hit 276, 13 home runs. His high other than that was seven. Uh, let's see, 45 RBI and uh, 276 average, a 330 on base and a 106 OPS plus, just like Joey Cora, the only year in his entire career, his 12 year career that he was over 100 in the OPS plus category. So, again, somebody that is technically a below average uh, major leaguer, but. Right. But uh, hey, he played in the big leagues. That's right. Now, Chris also did not appear on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but in 2004, Woodward was featured in an episode of Degrassi, The Next Generation. Wow. I never heard of that, but I'm sure it was oh, good. No, this is a very, very popular. It's a teen drama. It's uh, made in Canada. They've gone. It's been on the air forever. I mean, forever. We have obtained exclusive footage of his appearance on this episode. He is DJing a Battle of the Bands competition. Wow, those girls really knocked that one out of the park. Next up, Bat, we got the downtown Sasquatch. So if you blink, you miss it there, but he threw in two baseball references. 
Yeah, that's impressive. And uh, definitely was rushing through his lines. <laughs> he was not, not meandering well, by he, any man. He didn't quite knock it out of the park. No, this is, I thought of this as, this is the Daryl Strawberry rapping of acting <laughs> by which <Woodrow. laughs> Here he is and he's gone. Yeah, and All he's right. very kind of, kind of wooden. In the credits, he's featured as Toronto Blue Jay Chris Woodward. Like, he's <laughs> yeah, well, not just it, Chris Woodward. His name didn't carry itself, you mean? <laughs> yeah. And he's wearing a Blue Jay's, like, jacket that's got a little logo on it. That's like me calling myself actor Mark Johnston. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to, no, you got to put a show in there. Like, a uh, homeless person on leverage, Mark A. Johnston. <laughs> <laughs> Not star of tall men. All right. So that is going to do it for our BP segment. The grounds crew's already on it because we've got a lot to go over here before we get into Wax Packs Heroes. We've got to tackle the main topic for this week. And I am very excited. First of all, I threw this out to you and to one of our buddies as to what the topic for this week should be. I had it narrowed down to either Charlie Kerfeld, which I already had a bunch of audio and stuff ready to go, or... Mr. Wade Anthony Boggs. And I was uh, I was told quite sternly, go with Boggs. <laughs> yes. Well, I wanted to hear more about Boggs. I, I, I don't know enough about him. Well, we've got a lot to talk about here. So let's get through all the numbers and so forth first, because you know what we like to do here. We like to get onto the pop culture references and absolutely see what's going on there. So let's jump right in here to Wade Box. First of all, Wade is his full first name. I was really hoping it was something like Wadrick or something, <laughs> you know, like Woodrow. Uh, Wadenator. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's just Wade. But Wade, first and foremost, he's a Hall of Famer, of course, having been inducted in 2005. He was a 12-time All-Star, 8-time Silver Slugger. He won five batting titles, two gold gloves, and a World Series with the Yankees in 1996. Now, I know for me, Wade Boggs was the first big defection since I started watching baseball of a player of, of a high stature switching teams between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Uh, yes. I mean, obviously Babe Ruth, and there's been plenty of others. But oh, when yeah. I started watching baseball in the mid-80s, he was a huge name. And then for him to sign with the, with Evil Empire immediately out of Boston was a, was big news for me. Oh, I remember it, and I was thinking, how? How how can you go to your bitter enemy like that? But uh, And then I saw a few million reasons. It was between New York and the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And New York tacked on an extra year, and that's what did it. Uh, it would have been interesting in the Dodgers. The Dodgers didn't really have a whole lot going for them in the early yeah. 90s. So right. it would have been interesting. Both of his parents were pilots, one for the Marines, one for the Air Force. Wade was a quarterback in high school. But as he progressed through school, he didn't want to get hurt because, you know, he knew he had a probably a career in baseball. So he became a kicker. I was trying to figure out what position in baseball equates to a kicker in football. Because, you know, kickers wow. kind of keep to themselves. They don't, they, they're not in the tackling drills. They usually wear those pads that, you know, just look like my mom's shoulder pads from a oat in the 80s. Like, they, they're not really thought of as always you know, football players. <laughs> and, and if you look at, look at the football Hall of Fame, there, I think there's one kicker. Ray Guy. I know Ray Guy is there. He, he was Hunter. my guy. Yeah, I think the, I can't I can't think of who the kicker is. Uh, oh, there's another. He was with the Colts and the Patriots, I believe, was probably there. But uh, mm. I was thinking, I don't know, bullpen catcher, 
position player yes. pitching. I don't know. Once again, you have crystallized my thoughts eloquently. <laughs> All right. So we've mentioned Wade several times before, but definitely mentioned him when we talked about the longest game ever played in 1981. That minor league game that lasted 33 innings and also included fellow Hall of Famer Cal Ripken in that one. That was a great episode if you haven't listened to that one. Uh, it was. It was. That was one of my favorites, actually. Yeah. Played into Easter. Left the ballpark as people were going to church on Easter Sunday. I mentioned Wade won five batting titles. He just missed out on a sixth in his rookie year in 1982. He was 121 plate appearances short of qualifying for the lead. He hit 349 that year, though. Willie Wilson hit the crown, hitting 332, but of course, just didn't have enough ABs to, to get him over the hump there. He also came in third in the rookie of the year balloting that year behind the aforementioned Cal Ripken. Starting in 1983, Wade had seven consecutive seasons of 200-plus hits, including 240 in 1985. He routinely led the league in doubles and on-base percentage, and he and Don Mattingly were always fighting for the best hitter in the AL. That's right. And I had a poster of both Boggs and Mattingly hanging in a young Jeff's room. Nice. You don't have it anymore? I don't think I have those two anymore. I have all my Ricky Henderson stuff. These were the only two things that were not Ricky Henderson was a Sports Illustrated Wade Boggs and a Sports Illustrated Don Mattingly poster. So you, had a, you were a fan of, of professional hitters, even I, if they weren't Ricky. Yeah, I liked them. Mattingly, I always liked much more. He was. The, the, yeah, he, he was a doubles machine, that guy. I, I love Don Mattingly. Couldn't admit it back then because one of my best friends was a huge John Mattingly fan, so I had to be a Wade Boggs guy. <laughs> but uh, deep down inside, I always liked Mattingly. He's something else. So Boggs' final year in Boston was the worst of his career. We mentioned this earlier when we just couldn't believe that he would leave Boston for New York. But that last year in Boston, he only hit 259, one of only three years in his 18-year <laughs> career, where he ended up below the 300 mark. Weird. Three years in 18 years. That's incredible. He finished his yeah. career with a 328 batting average and more importantly, a 415 on base percentage. That's awesome. For just for comparison, Ricky ended his career with a 401 on base average. So oh, wow. <laughs> Boggs got on more than Ricky did. That's amazing. I, I wouldn't have I would not have answered that if you'd asked me which one. Yeah. But Ricky did end up with more hits. Than Wade oh, Boggs. He no kidding. played a lot longer as well. Well, Ricky played until he couldn't walk anymore, yeah. I believe. So Boggs in the postseason was a bit of a crapshoot. He was either really good or really bad. He made the playoffs six years, but only won that World Series with the Yankees in 1996. That World Series was memorable, though, as it was the first title in the Bronx in 18 years. And if you remember, Boggs famously toured Yankee Stadium after the win on the back of a New York Police Department horse. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. I've seen a picture of it. Yeah, and apparently Wade Boggs is deathly afraid of horses, but at that <laughs> point, he was all in. He made That's it out safe. Boggs left the Bronx after the 97 season and took his talents to Tampa Bay and the freshly minted Devil Rays. Not often I get to refer to them as the Devil Rays, but they were at that point. So yes. I'm going to like it. No, you get in trouble if you don't. <laughs> he hit the first home run in Devil Rays history in the inaugural game on March 31st, 1998. Then the next season, on August 7th, he collected his 3,000th hit, which was a wow. home run. And that was, uh, at that point, he was the first player 
in baseball history to hit a home run for number 3,000. No kidding. Yeah. And Tampa Bay got some serious baseball history just in the oh, first yes. couple of years. They're rich in history. <laughs> rich in history. Now, not only was Wade great with the bat, but Wade could also bring it from the mound. Well, Ooh. at least he did the first time he took the mound uh, when he was with the Yankees. Bob's a standing ovation. They want to see even some of the angel hitters with a smile on their face. Knuckler. Strike one. Oh, yeah. He has found a new career. He's going to strike him out. Got him. His first major league strikeout. And Wade Boggs has pitched a scoreless eighth inning to bring a smile to the face. And he tips his cap. (laughs) (laughs) That was with the Yankees when they were in uh, Anaheim. I think it was probably California at that point. Well, I don't know. It was, was in I, 97, so. <laughs> I have no recollection of that, but that's outstanding. Look it up on YouTube because he sprints down to the dugout at the Big A. And he is so excited. And he comes in and he is all business. Today, position players pitching is pretty commonplace. You probably see it three or four times a, a week at this point. But it was not then. It was something to, to see. You might see Jose Canseco blow out his elbow. <laughs> yeah. But this is Wade Boggs, you know, future Hall of Famer. And he was into it. So he pitched an inning in this game, walked one, but struck out. You heard that he got a strikeout there and got out of the inning unscathed. In 1999 with the Devil Rays, he pitched an inning and a third and didn't fare as well. He gave up three hits and a run, but he struck out another batter. So he's got two appearances and two strikeouts. That's awesome. He's nearly Nolan Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> well, he only walked one. So his he's, his strikeout to walk ratio is is pretty good there. Not bad. I, I wanted to look up who he struck out, who Wade Boggs struck out. In that game against Anaheim, it was Todd Green. Oh, sounds like a wax pack hero name where we go. I don't remember him. Oh, no, I remember him. I just <laughs> now am I going to remember this fact so that I can recite it when we pull Todd Green. He was a catcher. No, nice. The uh, the other one, he struck out Delino DeShields to lead off that inning in the ninth, though. So Delino DeShields Ooh. and Todd Green, the two nice. strikeout victims of of Wade Box. I mentioned his 3.28 lifetime average. He finished with 3,010 career hits. We've mentioned players who had their numbers retired by multiple teams before. Wade is in that class. He had his number 26 retired by the Sox and his number 12 retired by the Rays. And this piqued my curiosity. Future Hall of Famer Wade Boggs signs with the first iteration of the Devil Rays. He could have had any number he wanted, right? Because he's he's a future Hall of Famer. And he takes number 12, which he had with the Yankees as well. But he wore 26 with the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. So this tells me he liked the number 12 more than 26, I'm guessing. Sure, sure. Was there a reason he couldn't wear 12 in Boston? Like maybe that first year, no, but he almost wins the batting title, almost wins rookie of the year. I'm thinking, okay, his second year, if he wants number 12, he can have it. The only name I can see that wore that number 12 for the Sox was Pumpsy Green at one point, who was the first African-American player for the Sox like 50 years after every other team had integrated. But he was not playing any longer. Uh, Julio Valdez was wearing it for the White Sox when Wade came up. Valdez was going up and down as well. He was not established. I'm thinking he could have claimed that number long before Steve Lyons actually took it in 1985. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. And and Boggs, 
as we know, not to ruin anything coming up here, but was a bit superstitious. So it makes me wonder about the number. Well, this is this my very next line is it maybe he was superstitious. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting we're getting to be too close here, man. We're yeah. starting to think the same way. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I, did he have any other strange quirks that might lead anybody to think that he might have been more than just a little stitious? Oh, of course he was. We we know he is one of the most superstitious players to ever put on a uniform. Wade had a very precise routine every day. Wade would start his routine by eating chicken before every single game. Now, was there ever a day when you didn't have uh, chicken? Unfortunately, unfortunately, 1985, uh, it was the, it was the last day of a, a homestand, and my, my wife didn't get to the uh, grocery store that day, and, and uh, consequently, we had pork chops that day. Uh, it was a very dreary performance. 0 for 4, two errors, uh, struck out twice and got hit in the elbow by Cal Ripken in an overthrow into the dugout. So, uh, needless to say, pork chops has not been on the menu. Stick to uh, chicken, Stick right? to chicken. Stick All to right. chicken. So, that was Conan O'Brien, by the way. Wade Boggs oh, is such a big star. He was on Conan O'Brien. You know, don't remember how big he was. He was, uh, was dubbed Chicken Man, a moniker that he has embraced both on Twitter as well as penning a, a book called Foul Tips, My Favorite Chicken Recipes. And this is a cookbook that consists only of chicken recipes. Nothing else. <laughs> this book is currently out of print, but there is a five-star review by one of my favorite readers. Their name is Amazon Customer. And this oh, is yeah. this is uh, the review. A great cookbook, exclamation point. And this is part of, this is an excerpt of the review. This is the best chicken cookbook you will ever buy. I had to call his agent in Chicago to get one, but it was worth the effort. Here's one recipe for free. Buy some good Italian seasoning salad dressing mix, usually four to a pack. Mix one pack to half a stick of butter. Melt, mix, baste chicken, and enjoy. Mark, great <laughs> you chicken. have to enjoy? Great chicken is that easy. That's it, right there. <laughs> but can, do you have to enjoy? What if you don't enjoy? You're not following instructions. Well, then you're not following the, the recipe if you're not enjoying it. This is news to me. I did not know this. Wade didn't really eat chicken every game until he decided to write this book. Oh, And this is really? in 1983, right? So this is very early in his career. This is his second year in the big leagues. He and his buddy, who owns a restaurant, said, they're gonna, we're going to write a chicken cookbook as most major leaguers do, you know. Yeah. They decided, though, that they were going to eat chicken every day for this book. Wade went on to win his first batting title that year. So you're not going to not eat chicken every day the rest of your career after that, right? <laughs> That's a good point, so, yeah. So he did. MLB.com got a hold of a copy of this book and followed a couple of recipes. I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to see how they came out. You know what? Interestingly, uh, one of our former guests, Daniel Jacob Horeen of the Pop Fly Pop Shop, did an awesome Wade Boggs uh, comic cover called Chicken Man. I think it, I think he did that with Wade and got the had them autographed. I'm not sure if he did an interview with him on YouTube like he does. I don't remember. Yeah, but. To our listeners, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the Pop Fly Pop Shop, Daniel Jacob Horeen, who is amazing, an amazing artist, and he does uh, comic book covers of your favorite players. Yeah, and he's branched out into football, too. He has. And he's Boy, I'll tell you what, his stuff is fantastic. He's getting players that are Hall of Famers oh, that yeah. are coming on. They're, he's interviewing them. 
they're helping him in his creative process and you can get autographed copies of these things. He's really taken off. Yeah, I'm super happy for him. I'm sure that a he a big portion of it was being on our show. Sure oh, right. Yes, yeah. I'm sure that was ginormous. Sure. Not his immense talent. It's, it's the time he was on our show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, so let's get back to Wade Boggs. Uh, The chicken, obviously not the end of his pregame rituals. Wade would field exactly 150 ground balls in the infield. He would start his batting practice at exactly 5.17 p.m., assuming it's a night game. Run his wind sprints at exactly 7.17 p.m. He would take the same path to his position out to third base from the dugout. He would draw the Hebrew word chai in the dirt before each bat. Uh, the thing is, Boggs is not Jewish. Interesting. Uh, I'm just wondering if maybe he was reminding himself of a Starbucks order. I don't know. But <laughs> he also asked the PA announcer at Fenway not to announce his number when he came to the plate. Because Weird. one time Boggs was in a slump and they forgot to announce his number and he got a hit. So oh after gosh. that, I don't want to hear my number. Okay, Now, Mark, this did not go unnoticed. By those who had access to things like, say, clocks at other ballparks. Now, you have a a story that uh, I think we've shared before, but it is too good not to to talk about Wade Boggs. Yes, it was. uh, It happened at the Old Kingdom. And uh, the the person that did it will remain unnamed. Uh, We'll just make one up for him like we did before. I think we called him Todd. But uh, I think the statute of limitations are also. (laughs) It, it was uh, now you say Wade did his, took his uh, batting practice exactly at five started 17? at five seventeen. Yeah, right. Well, quote unquote Todd, who uh, noticed that it was like quarter after five, thought, "Hey, you know, he's a baseball knowledgeable guy." He thought, "Hey, I wonder, I wonder what happened if." So he sat there and it went to five sixteen. Boggs had told some rookie, "Hey, let me know when it's five seventeen so I can get out there." Todd went, "Hmm, maybe, just maybe." The clock's going to skip a beat here. So he went in and manually switched it from 516 to 518. And it was never 517 in the kingdom that day. And when the rookie noticed it, he just went, hey, it, went, it never went to 517. And Boggs was not just livid. He was, you know, he, I can't believe he did this. You know, and 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 uh, he wouldn't believe the poor guy that the clock went from 516 to 518, but it did. And uh, Wade, I believe, went over that night. And I'm sure he, uh, I'm not sure, but I bet he remembers that. Well, now I've got some audio. This Todd, not the only guy to think of this. <laughs> so this is uh, this is some more from uh, from Wade Boggs when he was on uh, on the Conan show. Other teams ever tried to throw you off your uh, your regimen? One time in uh, Toronto, we were waiting for the clock to change to seven seventeen, and and uh, the scorekeeper decided to uh, hold it on seven sixteen. Then he changed it to seven eighteen, so he bypassed seven seventeen. So what did you do? I don't think I got a hit that night. I, I think it was <laughs> one of those unfortunate situations. But uh, the next night he tried the same thing. So I counted uh, uh, it when, when it turned to 716. I, I counted uh, for one minute, 1001, 1002, and, and went on for a minute and then ran out. And so I got him. So. <laughs> I love how he calls out the scorekeeper. <laughs> you know, it wasn't necessarily the scorekeeper. The official but, uh, score has got right. his hand on the clock, yes. Right. Well, I mean, I guess it. Could have been, but it was more likely somebody having to do with scoreboard operation. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's fool me once, you know, shame on you. But he won't get, uh, he won't be fooled again, I believe. Yes, is who said. Too but. funny that that happened somewhere else. That's great. All right, so we talked about his cookbook. Uh, there mm-hmm. is another Wade Bog books that is apparently called 
bogs. And I say it that way because <laughs> there's an exclamation point at the end oh, of the title. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can find nothing about this book, but I'm intrigued by the exclamation point. Uh, it's listed on his Wikipedia page, so I assume it's about him and not like about wetlands or something. But uh, I also learned that in Boston, Boggs is slang for Miller Lite beer, which really? I think is what he drank. And we'll definitely get to his beer drinking here shortly. Do they call Miller Lights Boggs or did at one point? I'm not well, sure. good to know that. Yeah. So if we have any listeners in Boston, please go to your local watering hole. And just order a Boggs and see what you get. I'm curious. <laughs> I want to know. Somebody help us out here. Yeah. So we mentioned the contract with the Devil Rays. This was a big thing, but it it probably never happened. I know we have referenced it several times on this show. It was said that the Devil Rays put a clause in Wade's contract that when he went into the Hall of Fame, which he obviously was going to do, he would choose to go in with a Devil Rays hat. And yeah. this was back when the player got a say, it wasn't the the final say, but they got a say on what hat they would be sporting on their plaque in Cooperstown. This rumored clause, though, is what it took to have MLB say, you know what, we're going to make the decision on our own. Can you imagine Boggs in the Hall of Fame as a devil ray? Yeah, I mean, everything I saw, this never happened. It was probably something they'd kicked around and the media got Mm -hmm. a hold of, but it was never actually there. Gotcha. Uh, This one I loved. At one point, Wade owned a fish camp. Now, what the heck a fish camp is, I I don't know. Do you send your fish there for the summer to, you know, get them out of the house for a couple of weeks? I'm not sure. But the name of it was Finway Fish Camp. Yeah, I get it. Like that? I like that one. Wade, also just like us, fan of the WWF. Nice. And I get to say Devil Rays and WWF on this episode because at that point they were the Devil Rays and WWF was World Wrestling Federation. That's right. So uh, good times for us all around here. He shot a vignette, though, in 1992 with Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. Hi, I'm Wade Boggs. I want to show you a perfect hitter. Absolutely perfect. Now, I edited it down because there was a minute and a half of just Kurt Henning at a, at a local high school in Tampa taking cuts off of somebody throwing him some meatballs. And Wade Boggs just kind of in the background with his arms crossed. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, the two, though, became good friends after that. And in fact, Boggs credits Kurt Hennig with saving his life. Really? The two were on a hunting trip together, and Boggs apparently severely cut his leg trying to get through a barbed wire fence, and Henning had to carry him out to get help. Oh, my gosh. Well, good thing he had a professional wrestler with him to carry him. Like, I couldn't have done it, but he had Mr. Perfect there, who perfectly Mm. carried him to safety. Boggs inducted the late Hennig into the WWE, I gotta say that now, Hall of Fame in 2007. Nice. So, just more good stuff here. Now, I know everybody's asking, but was Wade Boggs ever on Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Well, you're gonna have to wait just a bit, because first we gotta talk about Margot Adams. Oh, Boggs had a very well-publicized affair with a mortgage broker from California named Margot Adams in 1988. When Boggs ended the affair, his jilted lover went public. 
and sued Boggs for $12 million, <laughs> claiming emotional distress and breach of contract because she said that Boggs had agreed to compensate her for travel with him on road trips. Ah. Because she uh -oh. wouldn't be working. She would be traveling with him, I gotcha. guess. Gotcha. She gave some very graphic details in an interview with Penthouse magazine. And this was a huge deal at the time. This was before social media or the 24-hour news cycle. But this was a big topic across the country. It was on tabloids. It was, it, in, was. it was on just news shows. I mean, this was a big thing. And it was pretty scandalous, Yeah, uh, you know, to be an extramarital affair by this incredible baseball player. Boggs eventually sat down with Barbara Walters on 2020 on national TV wow. to give his side of the story. The lawsuit was eventually tossed by the courts and everybody went about their business. And I, you didn't hear much about it after that. Now you would, he'd be teased about it every at bat on the road. Right. But yes. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the good stuff. We've covered a couple of Wade Boggs TV appearances in past episodes. He was, uh, of course, part of the Springfield Power Plant softball team until he was laid out with one punch by Barney after getting into an argument about whether Lord Palmerston or Pitt the Elder was England's greatest prime minister. England's greatest prime minister was Lord Palmerston. Pitt the Elder. Lord Palmerston. Pitt the Elder. Okay, you asked for it, Boggs. Dad, I'm showing him, Bonnie. Pitt the Elder. Lord Palmerston. Uh, there's one thing we've learned. Do not upset Barney about the England's greatest prime minister. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, if you haven't listened to it, go back. We did a whole episode on that great episode of The Simpsons. He was he seems to get beat up a lot when he's on TV. Uh, he was beat up by the gang at Cheers when Gary's Old Town Tavern sends Boggs to Cheers to pay off a bet, but everybody thinks he's imposter because Gary's not gonna send the real Wade Boggs to Cheers. Excuse me, can I help you? Yeah, uh, Gary sent me over to sign some autographs. Hi, I'm Wade Boggs. Hi. Wade Boggs, eh? <laughs> yeah, how you doing? I'm Babe Ruth. <laughs> yeah, I'm his uh, good friend, Dizzy Dean. <laughs> I'm Woody Boyd. <laughs> Woody. <laughs> Woody was so good. That doesn't mean anything to you. You've never seen that episode? No, uh, that's hilarious, though. That's good comedy. <laughs> it goes on for a while, just him trying to tell them, oh, I am the real Wade Boggs, but they, they're just not buying it. Though he didn't appear in person in Seinfeld, he is quoted in the episode The Chaperone, where George convinces the Yankees to switch to cotton uniforms because cotton is king, after all. That's right. Breathable. They'll be five degrees cooler than every other team. That's right. Uh, Wade Boggs is quoted in this episode as saying, quote, what a fabric. Finally, we can breathe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. In 2011, he appeared in an episode of Psych. It was titled Dead Man's Curveball. I have not seen that episode. 
But mm. uh, finally, and this is what I really wanted to talk about, in what might be my favorite appearance, Boggs was one of the main plot points, if not the main plot point, of not one but two episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia titled The Gang Beats Boggs. Wade Boggs' drinking record, okay? The man's a legend. He drank 50 beers on a cross-country flight and then absolutely destroyed the Seattle Mariners the next day, okay? <laughs> That's why we're doing this, to honor his memory, okay? May rest in peace. First off, Wade Boggs is very much alive. That I, I have said that very line many times on this show because I love this entire episode. It centers around the legend of Wade Boggs drinking anywhere between 64 to 107 beers in one day. Do I believe this story? I believe it. I believe he drank a lot of beers, but no, I don't believe this story. Can you get alcohol poisoning from beer? That is what there are a lot of studies and websites that have done a lot of research in this. And one took his body weight at the time and the percent of alcohol that was in the Miller Lights, I think, that he was drinking at that point. And yeah, he would have died. Should that, would that have happened? Uh, even from light beer? Yes, even from wow. light beer. Well, plus light beer is you're going to spend a lot of time in the in the bathroom. Andre the Giant at one point drank a hundred beers in a day. But that I believe Andre the Giant, like if you've seen the picture of him holding a a, a, a can of beer, it looks like a little Barbie beer. <laughs> like yes. it's, it's just, I mean, he's Andre the Giant. I I imagine he could do it. But the legend, as it goes. One day, traveling east to west, Boggs started drinking at the ballpark. It was a travel day. Drank on the bus. This was during a time when the Yankees had a plane that had to refuel going across country. So there was a layover. He drank there. Uh, He drank on the rest of the plane ride. Drank on the bus to the stadium. Drank at the stadium. And then they went back to the hotel and he continued drinking. So (laughs) the Sunny Gang tries to replicate this feat to differing levels of success. And uh, whenever you hear me say R.I.P. Wade Boggs, this is exactly where it comes from. Charlie thinks Wade is dead. Dee gets Wade Boggs confused with Boss Hog. And (laughs) I mean, there's just, I love everything about this episode. A couple of seasons later, they did a similar episode where Dee throws a, I think it's a bachelorette party, and they try to equal this feat, just women trying to drink the, the beer, which... Does not go well. Uh, I did find this. Uh, Former big league pitcher Brian Rose, who played with Boggs in Tampa, this is how he uh, recalled a flight that he took, and he sat next to Boggs on the plane. He said, quote, I'm sitting next to him on the plane, and the flight attendant comes by and gives him a case of beer. (laughs) He slid it under the seat, and I was like, what's up with that? This is only an hour flight. And Wade says, that's mine. So now I am desperately trying to figure out the date that this happened, supposedly. It appears, like I said, they were heading to Seattle and Wade apparently did fine the next day. Now, how crazy would it have been if if the, the next day was the day that this Todd played the joke on him with the clock? <laughs> But I want to see the evidence. I want to know what day it was. We know that he was with the Yankees when this happened, so that kind of narrows it down. But I would love to be able to see what exactly he did the next day that he supposedly drank all these beers. But I I don't believe it. I I believe he drank a whole lot of beers because that's apparently what he does. But well, yeah, but that's a little much. That that's extreme. Yeah, (laughs) I can't drink two beers without being like completely bloated for the rest of the night. (laughs) 
I can't even imagine that. But that was fun. I, I had a good time looking up some Wade Boggs stuff. There's I like when we do stuff on players where I can find a lot of media like that because there was Absolutely. just so many fun things to talk about Wade Boggs. Um, a lot of stuff going on. He was all over the media, apparently. But. That's great. All right. So that's going to do it for Wade, the Wade Boggs uh, portion of this show. We're now going to get into the segment that most of our listeners are here for. I'm saying that. So, most, yes. Not everyone. So, uh, it's time for Wax Packs Heroes. All right, I had a huge victory last week. I mean, it was my yes. first one in a very long time, but I had a huge, losing streak. huge victory. Right now, the scoreboard uh, reads three to one. Mark, you, you're the three-time defending champ, so I, I really need to get going here. Today, we're going to be opening, I think this is my last two packs of 97 Don Russ. There are 14, pack, or 14 cards in this pack, so we're going to each have to lose four cards. Let's go over the rules in case you're new here. We're going to be taking the baseball reference war of players from the year of the card, in this case, 1997. Adding to that, if on the card there is anything on these guys' face, glasses, mustache, eye black, a fly has landed on them, plus 0.10 for every piece of uh, every artifact that is on their face. If they're wearing real stirrups, we're going to give them an additional tenth of a point. If they're two and ones, we're going to subtract a tenth of a point. A couple of additional things. If they are batting without batting gloves, extra tenth of a point. If they're wearing sweatbands with their caricature or jersey number, extra tenth of a point. If they won any awards that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, Gold Glove, whatever, half a point award for each of those. If they are in the Hall of Fame, and I'm going to say it, even if there is a second or third player on the card, if any of them are in the Hall of Fame, you're going to get an extra whole point of war. If there are uh, two flaps or no flaps on their batting helmet, that's an extra tenth of a point of war. If uh, we pull a Ricky, either of us pull a Ricky, I automatically get five points of war. If it's a Nolan, Mark, you automatically get five points. These are from 1997, Mark. Yeah. You know, what's funny about those two particular players is, is there are good odds of pulling them because they played both played a long yes. time. <laughs> yeah, they did play a long time. And of course, any of their final three seasons from anybody we pull, if they were in Seattle for any of those last three seasons, as a lot yes. of players tended to do, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point for each of those seasons. And finally, Mark, you and I are both going to pick a team. If I pull a member of my team, I get an extra uh, half a point of war but if uh, i pull one of your team i'm gonna minus a half a point so who are you gonna go with this week you know i i just am feeling enjoying the wade boggs uh, uh basking in the glow of of his career then i'm gonna go with the boston red sox all right the red Sox. um let's see well, these are 97, and the Rays didn't come in until 98. Otherwise, I would have chosen the Rays. Sure, sure. But so I will go. I'll go ahead and take the Evil Empire just to kind of stick with that uh, with that mon. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, Red Sox and Yankees are battling for yes. superiority. Here we go. We are once again 
highlighting the Red Sox and the Yankees are favorites. All right, <laughs> I've got uh, two packs here, Mark. I got one in my left hand, one in my right hand. Which one would you like? Well, you know, I was going with the rights, and uh, then I lost, so I'm going to go left this time. Go with the left. All right, I'm going to have you go first. Now, again, these are the packs that I have to actually take scissors to open, but uh, that just means they're extra special. That's uh, right. Now, these do have 14 cards, so you're going to need to lose a four. Do you want to lose the top or the bottom four? Drop the top four, please. Top four. All right, let me. All right, so you're going to lose uh, BJ Surhoff. Mm. Uh, you're going to lose a Red Sock. That's not good Ooh. for you. Tim Wakefield. Throwing a oh, knuckleball. Nice. This is a good picture right there. Uh, let's see. You're also going to lose Marcus Jensen, catcher for the Gentes. Uh-oh. 97, you're losing Sammy Sosa. Oh, say it ain't Sosa. That is going to probably hurt. And now I like this, though, because now we reveal your first player that we count, and he's a Yankee. (laughs) Oh, starting off not so good. (laughs) Yes, Yankee that we have talked about. So we've never done an episode on him, but we talk about him all the time. It's Paul O'Neill. Oh, yes. Yes, one of our favorites to talk about. And, uh, of course, we always talk about his kicking ability. Kicking ability. We talk about his appearance on Seinfeld. I mean, he just kind of, he's right up our alley in terms of stuff. Did not play with the Mariners, though, so you're not going to get that. Right. Let's see. 1997, good news for you, he was an all-star. So that will wipe out the fact that he's a Yankee for you. Yes. Did receive MVP votes this year. Played 149 games. Hit 324, a 399 on base. And a 514 slugging for a 137 OPS plus. That is very good. Let's see. Yes. 21 home runs, 117 RBI. And all of this is going to equate to a war of 2.4. I was expecting a little bit higher. Well, I'll take a I'll take a positive number anytime. Uh, let's see. He was an all star, but uh, like I said, he's also a Yankee. So that will remove that. Just be a 2.4 for you. I don't think we need, we've, uh, we've covered him plenty of times. Oh, yeah. Now, this is going to help you big time because, one, he has got glasses, sunglasses on, and he's also got a beard. But maybe even more than that, it's Joe Carter. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's see here. Joe Carter, this is his his final year in Toronto. 1997. Uh, He went on to play one more year that he split between Baltimore and San Francisco in 98. But a 37-year-old Joe Carter appeared in 157 games. Nice. At age 37. He hit 234, 284 on base. Still had 21 home runs, 102 RBI. He stole eight bases and was only caught twice. That's pretty good. 77 OPS plus. And that will equal a war of minus 0.8. Ouch. <laughs> uh, you do get the glasses and the beard, though. So that'll only be a minus 0.6. But yeah, this is he still had power, but definitely at the end of his career here, that's not going to help you out. I can't believe Joe Carter scored me minus points. I thought we were friends. Uh, let's see. We mentioned uh, John Stewart's character in the uh, 99 film Big Daddy revealed that he was conceived after Joe Carter's walk-off home run. That's right. The, the call of his walk-off celebration is used uh, as part of the back-to-back song by Drake. Ah, yes, that's right. I heard that once. Yes. <laughs> it's on repeat in your, uh, in your iPod. Yeah. There. No, that's X going give it to you. <laughs> that's one. No, we only hear that when we go to a game. That's the only time we hear that. All right, so you are at 1.8. Your next card is pitcher for the Astros. This one might help you out. Shane Reynolds. Ah, uh, yes. He had a good good couple of years at least. Oh, Shane Reynolds, yeah. Solid pitcher. I, I, uh, I was always a fan. 
Let's see. He does have uh, fake stirrups. I can tell that right now. It's not good. But, uh, Shane Reynolds, 13 years in the big leagues, 11 with the Astros. Yes. Uh, 1997, it looks like it's a pretty typical year for him. He went 9-10 and 10 with a 4.23 ERA, 181 innings pitched, 152 strikeouts, a 95 ERA+. Plus. And that will get you a war of 0.4 minus the stirrup. So it's only going to be a 0.3. It's just one year too early, uh, right before his 19 win season. Yeah. Boy, did not did not perform well in the playoffs. <laughs> no. Yeah, one and three overall mark there. In 2001, a 9.0 ERA. All right. So you're at, uh, you're at 2.1. Uh, next, you have got a, oh boy, this is one of my all-time favorite players who never really did anything, but he came up through Salt Lake when the Buzz were the Twins AAA club, and I loved this guy. He's listed as a first baseman here. He came up as a third baseman. It is Steho, Scott Stehoviak. I remember that dude. Man, I, I really like this guy. He was kind of tall for a third baseman. He does have a beard here in this picture, so that will help you out. That's the only thing. This was taken in Atlanta, too. I can tell that's old Turner Field. Uh, I was not working there yet at this point, so I could not possibly be in this picture. Let's see. Steho, five years in the big leagues, all of it with Minnesota. 1997, he appeared in 91 games. He hit 229, a 301 on base. 10 home runs, 33 RBI. He stole five bases that year. Wow, not bad for a first baseman. Yeah, well, career 13 stolen bases, but he was caught eight times. 82 OPS plus, and this is going to get you a minus 0.2 war, but he's got the beard, so it'll only be a minus 0.1. Okay, I won't complain. At least it's not a minus seven. I'm so excited. Just seeing this picture of him makes me happy. I I really enjoyed him. He was a big dude. He was, uh, I mean, I remember him uh, being pretty tall. Yeah, 6'5", 210. Okay. So oh, wow. built like a first baseman, but he came up as a third baseman. All right, you got a Hall of Famer here. This is gonna, go. this is going to help you here. Pitcher with the Baltimore Orioles, Mike Mussina. Hi, there we go. Now we're talking. Yeah, I think this one will probably help you out here. Uh, let's see, Mike Mussina, eighteen years in the big league, split it between Baltimore and the Yankees. 1997, he was an all-star. He went 15-8 and eight with a 3.2 ERA, 224 and two-thirds innings, 218 strikeouts, an ERA plus of 137, and that will equal a war of 5.5. There we go. He was an all-star and won a gold glove, so that'll be 6.5. Plus, he's a Hall of Famer. That'll be 7.5. And wow. he's got real stirrups on. So that will be a 7.6. Okay. Thank you, Mike Messina. Yeah. I, I had to be, bring out the stopper, man. You would be hard pressed to pull a card from any year where Mike Messina does not give you major right. value. The only year in his career, in his 18 year career, there were only two years where he did not have a 500 record, the first of which was his rookie year. In 91, where he went four and five with a 2.87 ERA. Uh-huh. And then his final year in Baltimore in 2000, where he went 11 and 15 with a 3.79 ERA and led the league in innings pitched. Oh, wow. So just wow. Yeah. Hall of Famer, five time All Star, won a couple of gold gloves. He went into the Hall of Fame in, what was it, 2019? Oh, wow. Moose was born in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Home I did not know that. Little League World Series. I did That's not right. know that either. 
He was uh, just missed being valedictorian of his graduating uh, class. A baseball player? Very impressive. Yeah. Apparently, he intent he says he intentionally came up short to avoid having to deliver a speech. <laughs> so he tanked a class? He did go on to, uh, he was accepted into Stanford with a scholarship, and he played there for three years. So, yeah, he's nice. definitely not a dummy. That's for sure. Wow, no kidding. Uh, so Moose likes to collect tractors and vintage cars. I'm assuming oh, wow. full size. Yes. I, <laughs> you see him out there with a collection of Hot Wheels? Like, <laughs> uh, hey, I've still got my Hot Wheels. Also is a crossword puzzle enthusiast and was featured in a documentary called Wordplay in 2006. Hmm. All right. So you're at 9.6. That was a big score for you. Next, we've got a, a guy. I remember this guy. I think he's I think he does some work for the Giants broadcasting now. It's pitcher Sean Estes. Remember Sean Estes. Now, for some reason, I connect him with the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I seem to remember him for some reason with the Mets, but he was only with the Mets for half a year. Uh, did not okay. play anywhere in the Northwest. He was drafted in the first yes. round by the Mariners in 91. He was their first round pick there in you 91. Go. That's what I remember. Let's see. He never appeared with Seattle. He was traded with Wilson Delgado to the Giants for Salomon Torres. Wow. <laughs> that did not work out well for the, for the Mariners, shockingly yeah. enough. Yeah. Get this. He was then traded by the Giants to the Mets for Desi Relaford and Shiyoshi Shinjo, the big boss. Oh <laughs> wow. You know, the, we haven't talked about the ham fighters for quite a while. They were awful out of the gate. Like they were. just and the Hanshin Tigers the same way. The fighters, though, have started to play a bit better and are inching towards 500. But they really dug themselves a hole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Sean Estes played for 13 years in the big leagues. Most of it with the Giants. Seven with the Giants. 1997. Good news for you. He was an all star. I think this had to have been his best year. He went 19 and five with a 3.18 ERA. He did lead the league in walks. And ended up with a 130 ERA plus. And that is good for a 3.8 war. He was an all-star, so that will be 4.3. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out, though. Okay. That's a big uh, help. That'll bring you up to 13.9. Oh, well, Sean Estes in 2000 hit a grand slam. Wow. Oh, so this is interesting. So remember back in 2000 in the World Series when Clemens hit Mike Piazza and uh, Clemens oh, threw yeah. the broken bat at Piazza and all that. Absolutely. Yep. Estes took Clemens deep in oh, wow. the, one of those games. <laughs> and the crowd, as you can imagine, loved that. No question about it. Yeah, I, I recall that quite well. He, Clemens said he thought it was the ball. He threw it. <laughs> yeah. It feels feels just like it. All well, right. Yeah. When I pick up a bat, I sometimes just want to throw it because I feel like it's a baseball. All right. So you got three cards left here. You're at thirteen point nine. Next, or no, you've got four cards left. I'm sorry. Next, you've got. Well, I remember him as an athletic. Uh, I think he came up with Atlanta, though. Here he is, Mr. Jermaine Die JD. Oh yeah, I was always a fan. He uh, had a great career with Oakland. I remember though he fouled a ball off his shin in the playoffs and broke his leg and was done. I remember good old Jermaine, but yep, he came up with Atlanta. He only played one year in 96 there, and then he was traded to Kansas City. Uh, let's see. He was traded with Jamie Walker for Keith Lockhart and Michael Tucker. <laughs> Definitely remember those names. Keith Lockhart, uh, great guy. I uh, got to work with him in the, in the clubhouse when he was with Tacoma. Remember him? Little blonde guy. Yep. Kind of played everywhere. He did. 
Let's see, 14 years in the big leagues for J.D., five with Kansas City, five with the White Sox, four with Oakland, and then that one year in Atlanta. 1997, it was the second year. This was after he was traded to Kansas City. Hit 236, 284 on base, seven home runs, 22 RBI, and a 69 OPS plus, and all of that equals a war of minus .5. Ouch. And there is... Well, no, I'm, I'm going to say he's got a little mustache there, so that'll just be a minus point four. Jermaine wore number 24 when he was with the Athletics. Really? <laughs> that's, that's a bold move there. <laughs> uh, and then in, it was 2001, the ALDS. He broke his leg when he fouled the ball off his left knee. Ouch. Uh, I just... I, that, that just... Thinking about it, I remember that that pains me. All right, next you've got a uh, pitcher for the Mets. This guy was supposed to be one of, they had like four guys that were going to be their rotation for the next decade. This was one of them. Obviously didn't pan out. Bill Pulsifer. I remember the name Pulsifer because it was so unique. Played for six years in the big leagues. Uh, Most of it with the Mets. Three years with the Mets. 1997, though, was not one of them. Came up, debuted in 95, and then didn't come back up until 98. He had some shoulder problems, I believe. He might have even had Tommy John surgery. Uh, Ended up playing six years in the big leagues, 13 and 9 overall, 5.15 ERA and 84 ERA plus for his career. And yeah, he had uh, Tommy John. He also had uh, a lot of depression and anxiety issues. Oh, that's no good. The rotation that was being heralded, they get, they got a nickname. It was called Generation K. <laughs> that's, that's not bad. Yeah, so it was he, Jason Isringhausen, and Paul Wilson. So three of them. Ah, well, okay. Isringhausen became a closer, didn't he? Yeah, for the A's. He was, right. he was a closer. Jermaine died, by the way, Oakland native. No, I missed that. Thank you for pointing mm-hmm. that out. Pulsifer has two sons, Liam Hayden and Leighton Hale. Both intentionally given these names so that their initials would be LHP. <laughs> if you can't guess, Bill Pulsifer, a left-hander. Mm-hmm. Very nice. <laughs> nice, yeah. All right, you're at 13.5, your second-to-last card. This guy hit the uh, home run. It was known as the shot heard around the world. No, wait, this is Robbie Thompson, not Bobby Oh, Thompson. darn it. Same team. Yes, it is. <laughs> Very easy mistake. Oh, yeah. All right, so Robbie Thompson, I know he was on that uh, 89 Giants team that went to the World Series. Overall, had an 11-year career, all of it with the San Francisco Giants. Very nice. 1997, unfortunately for you, he hung it up after the 96 season. Oh, great. That's great. (laughs) But he was a gamer, and it shows here in this picture because he's got eye black on. Very nice. So you will at least get a, a positive Tenth of a point there. In his 11 years, he ended up with a 257 average, a 329 on base, 119 total home runs, stole 103 bases, got caught 62 times. Wow. That is a lot. That's a lot of costumes. Yes. Uh, Overall, a 105 OPS plus for his total and a 33.8 career war for Robert Thompson. Nice of him to show up and not get me anything. He got you. He got you a tenth of a point. Okay, I'll take that. Good old eye black. Apparently, uh, Robbie Thompson used the same glove his entire career. Wow. And the San Francisco Chronicle at one point did a story about it, and they titled it "Thompson's Ugly Pathetic Glove Is a Gem," and he was not happy about that. Really? <laughs> he probably didn't like pathetic. I mean, we can go with ugly, but Yeah, pathetic? the pathetic, that's a little harsh. Uh, Rich Aurelia said that, quote, by the time Robbie was done, I think the glove mainly consisted of pine tar and chew spit. 
I don't even know how much leather was left in it. <laughs> All right, your final card, you have got a Dodger. Uh, we brought him up earlier because I believe Wade Boggs struck him out. It's Delino DeShields. Oh, yes. This is senior, of course. What, in 96? Yes, this is definitely yes, senior. Yes, I'm just letting everyone know in case you know. <laughs> we don't want to get fined. First round draft pick by the Expos in 1997, the father of Delino DeShields Jr. <laughs> Obviously, 13 years in the big leagues, uh, four with the Expos who he came up with. In 97, he was with the Cardinals, and he led the league in triples with 14, ended up nice. with a 295 average of 357 on base, 11 home runs, 58 RBI, uh, 55 stolen bases. Wow. 463 wow. career stolen bases. That's pretty good. That's awesome. And a 111 OPS plus, And that will equal a 4.2. Nice. Good news for you. He's got double flaps on his helmet. Oh, right on. <laughs> so that'll be a 4.3. I think he might be the first one since we instituted that rule. It's got I the do double flaps. So. I do believe so. Yeah. Good for you, Delano. Uh, so that'll bring your total up to 17.9. That's a pretty good right. score. That's a respectable score. All right. So you have got a 17.9 and uh, is going to be my turn to see if I can get some momentum here and win two in a row. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can take it. Oh, I, I am going to uh, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose the bottom. Four. OK, I feel like your your top four were pretty <laughs> good. So I'm going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I lose Gary Sheffield, first of all. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> that one might hurt. In 97. Ooh. Oh, come on. Jim Tomei. Oh, man. <laughs> Carlos Baerga. Wow. Jeez, I, I want to I do over here. And Eddie Murray. <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. That, that may have been the most unfortunate selection of cards to get rid of. Wow. Ever. I could maybe just take these four cards, use them, and beat your score. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, definitely a possibility. We're, we're going to do some quick math after we're done here and just see. But, ouch, that hurts. <laughs> Man. And wow. so, who's on the top of my pack? None other than uh, Houston Astros center fielder Ray Montgomery. Oh, my. Jeez, I am so bad at this game. <laughs> well, it is all skill. <laughs> Let's see. Ray Montgomery. He spent a couple years with the Strohs. Three years in the big leagues. Lifetime 241 average. Well, 97, he got the most playing time of his career. He hit 235, no home runs, four RBI, 18 strikeouts. Oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> 60 OPS plus. And a uh, war of minus 0.1. If there's anything on this card that's going to help me out. So, I mean, it could have been worse, but man, <laughs> I am oh, I'm just so bad. At this. <laughs> that's like having, I mean, losing those cards is like having your first three starters get hurt at the same time. Yeah. I mean, there's what there's, there's two Hall of Famers in Murray and Tomei. And then Sheffield yeah. was just a beast. And Carlos Baerga was one of the best second basemen for a oh, decade. He had some great years. Cheeseburger. Fantastic. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I don't even want to talk about Ray Montgomery anymore. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, this, uh, this player is unfortunately at the end of his career. So here we have got El Toro with the Padres, Fernando Valenzuela. I'm I'm not expecting much here. With the Padres, interesting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> for the who? Yes. <laughs> Fernando Valenzuela apparently pitched for the Padres 
as well as the Cardinals in 1997, his final year in the big leagues. For the year, he went uh, 2-12 and with a 4.96 ERA. 89 innings pitched and a 81 ERA+. plus. All of this will equal a minus 0.5 for me. That's not good, I don't think. And uh, he's got two and ones. <laughs> oh, now, see, this is more along the lines of how these games go for me. <laughs> you're, going, you're going Cleveland Spiders on me here. We're not going to go over Fernando's uh, other stuff because we did a whole episode on him. So you can go listen to that. That was a lot of fun. All right, I'm at minus 0.7. Next, I've got a Texas Ranger. It's Daryl Hamilton. It, okay. I might get some get something going here. Sure. The musical Hamilton is based off of his career. Of course, yes. His uh, one shot in the big leagues took advantage of it. Let's see. Came up with the Brewers in 1988. 13 years in the big leagues. Seven with the Brewers. In 1997, his lone year with the San Francisco Giants. He hit 270, had five home runs, 43 RBI, 15 stolen bases, 10 caught stealing. <laughs> That's not a good ratio. I mean, the, the first base coach should probably just like hold on to his belt loop or something when he gets over there to first <laughs> with that kind of average. 91 OPS plus, and all of this equals a positive 0.5. He does have real, oh, I can't see any white. He's got his socks pulled up all the way, but he's got those stupid high tops. So I can't see any white, but he does have eye black on. So I'll take well, that. So it'll, it's something. at least 0. 0.6. I'm still negative 0. 0.1, but all right. Hey, I got a Hall of Famer. Ah, uh, another one that counts. I got, yeah. And I'm hoping this one counts big because his nickname is The Kid. <laughs> no, there are a couple that could be. It's not Willie Mays. I got a Hall of Famer. I'm so excited. You might have guessed it is George Kenneth Griffey Jr., yeah. Let's see what this 22-year veteran did. 13 years with the Mariners. 1997, he was an all-star. He was also the American League MVP. Oh, he wow. also won the gold glove. <laughs> so I, wow. I like where this is going. And he's a Hall of Famer. Led the league in runs scored, home runs, RBI, slugging percentage, and total bases, as well as intentional walks. He hit okay. 304, a 382 on base, and a 646, a robust slugging percentage for Very a nice. 165 OPS plus, 56 home runs, 147 RBI, and 15 stolen bases. Oh, my. I'm excited about this for a war of 9.1. Wow. Wow. So he's a Hall of Famer, so that's 10.1. He's got a mustache too, so we don't want to we don't want to overlook that. He also has his jersey number on a sweatpant. Oh my god! So that is ten point three with his Hall of Fame. He is the MVP, an All Star, and a Gold Glove. So that's an extra one and a half points of WAR. So that is eleven point five. Nice card, dude. That is nice. That it took me from a minus one, minus point one to 11.4. And he is back in the running with a big inning. Yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. really, it, baseball is a team sport, but he's really carrying me on his back. That's for sure. I will take that. that card, by the way. I mean, you made it. I'll put it. Here, I'll, I'll fold the corner over just to remember. Yeah, perfect. That's perfect. Thank you. Now imagine if he would have been included with Jim Tomei and Eddie Murray and Gary Sheffield and Carlos Baerga. Yeah. I would just sign off early. Yeah. 
right. Okay, so next, oh, this one's going to probably be good. And I like this because he's wearing flip down sunglasses plus eye black. Oh, nice. This is a good picture, though. Uh, it's JT Snow with the California okay. Angels. You betcha. Jack Thomas Snow. Let's see. Six-time gold glover. 16 years in the big leagues, 10 with the Giants, 4 with the California Angels. 97 was his first year with San Francisco. Won a gold glove. I like that. That'll help me out. Hit 281, 387 on base. That's very nice. And a 510 slugging. 28 home runs, 104 RBI. Let's see, a 135 OPS plus. I might like this. That equals a 2.9 war, plus he was a gold glover. So that'll be 3.4, plus the shades and the uh, eye blacks. So that'll be a 3.6. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm at 15 even now, and uh, I'm starting to breathe down your back, your Uh-oh. neck, yeah, or whatever I'm, I'm these starting to sweat is. it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. He was once traded by the Yankees with Russ Springer to the Angels for Jim Abbott. Oh, wow. So uh, JT played at the University of Arizona, where he was teammates with Kenny Lofton and Trevor Hoffman. Oh, wow. All right. So I've got five cards left here. I'm at 15 even. Next, I've got, now he might, this guy might have ended in Seattle. It's Mark Newfield with the Brewers. Newf. Let's see. Well, he started his career with Seattle. I knew I'd seen him in a Mariners uniform at some point. Yes. Six years in the big leagues, three with Seattle, three with Milwaukee. He came up with Seattle in 93. In 1997, he's only 24 years old at this point. He came up at age 20, but uh, 97 with the Brewers, his second to last year in the big leagues, hit 229, one home run, 18 RBI, 56 OPS plus, and that's good for a minus one war. That uh, that kind of cuts my momentum. He does have a mustache, so it'll only be a minus 0.9, but that's, ouch. <laughs> what that, can you do? That does not help. Oh, he was He was involved in a trade for Greg Vaughn. So you gotta oh, wow. be gotta be thought of somewhat highly. Uh, he yes. was also traded by the Mariners when they got Andy Bennis, who you have mentioned a lot was a big uh, their first big trade for the Mariners in a long time. First round draft pick in '90 for the Mariners, Mark Newfield. Oh yes. All right. Well, I'm I'm feeling good now. This is a heck of a pack because I got another yeah. Hall of Famer. Another one here with the San Diego Padres. He's a right fielder. That's all I'm gonna say. Mm, I think I may know who you're talking about. Was he a decent hitter? He was a pretty good hitter. <laughs> it is none other than Anthony Keith Gwen, Mr. Padre, Captain Video himself. You're killing me, man. Wow. 20 years in the big leagues, of course, all of it with San Diego. Of course, he was an all-star. He was an all-star in every single season except for his first two, his last two, and an odd 1988 season where he came in 11th in the MVP voting. But the fans said, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> you only hit 370 last year. We're not going to yeah. vote you in this year. <laughs> That's sad. What in the heck? Uh, let's see, 1997, he led the league in hits with 220, something that he did seven times in his career. Also led the league in batting with a 372 average, something else he did eight times in his career, a 409 on base, a 547 slugging. He hit 17 home runs, which was a career high, 119 RBI, which is the only season he ever hit more than 100 RBI. 
Oh, wow. His next high after that is 90 in 1995. Also led the league in sacrifice slides with 12, 156 OPS plus. And this is good for a 4.3 war. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, so that's 5.3. He was an all-star, so that is, uh, let's see, 5.8. I can't see his mustache. He does have uh, fake stirrups on, though, so it's only going to be a 5.7. Only. Only. (laughs) That will, though, bring me up to 19.8. 1.9 ahead of you with three cards remaining. Oh, my goodness. I'm not ready to put in a position player to pitch yet, but. (laughs) All right. So next, I I don't think this is going to hurt me. He's no Carlos Baerga, but it is uh, a Met Edgardo Alfonso. Oh, yeah. He had some. He was, I mean, he was part of that infield with Allrude and Baerga and Ventura at third. That's right. Yeah, I think it was, I think they all made it on the cover of Sports Illustrated, too. That that infield played 12 years in the big leagues, eight with the Mets. Uh, that's a lot of years with the Mets. Uh, 1997, 151 games. He hit 315, a 391 wow. on base, a 432 slugging, 10 home runs, 72 RBI, 11 stolen bases, and a 119 OPS plus. Received MVP votes and a 6.2 WAR. Yeah, Very you might nice. bring in the position wow. player now. Yeah, it's time. There is uh, nothing else on this card that is going to hurt or help me, and that will take me up to 26 even. Now I'm going to try and double you. I'm getting cocky now. Man, I guess so. At one point in 2005, was traded straight up to the Angels for Steve Finley. Oh, wow. That'd be pretty good if you're getting traded. Yeah, I guess so. Finley also played one year with the Yamiuri Giants in 2009. Yeah, he was on that Sports Illustrated cover where they claimed it might be the best defensive infield of all time with Ray Ordonez. That's who I was thinking. That's right, yes. Robin Ventura and John Olerud. Yeah, not bad. Uh, I believe I believe Bobby Valentine, former guest, was managing at that point. Oh, yeah. All right, so I got two cards left here. I remember this guy. I, where was, I think I remember him with Cleveland more than anything. Here he is with Seattle. First baseman slash DH, Paul Sorrento. You might get bonus Mariner points here. Yeah. Did he, did he finish up in Seattle? Yes. One of his final three years was in Seattle. Then he played two years in Tampa with uh, with uh, with our buddy Wade Boggs nice. in 98 and 99. It all comes around, man. It all comes around. 11 years in the big leagues, four with Cleveland, three with Minnesota, and then two apiece with the Rays and the Mariners. 1997. He was with the Mariners at this point, his third to last year. So I'll get credit for that. Uh, let's see. He hit 269, 345 on base, 514 slugging, 31 home runs, 80 RBI. I mean, that's pretty good. And mm-hmm. a 123 OPS plus for his career, eight stolen bases, 15 caught stealing. Mm, stop running. Yes, I don't. You're giving away way too many outs there. All of this equals a 2.4 war. Nothing on this card's going to help me out except for the last year at the Mariners. So that'll be a plus 2.5. And I wow. feel like I've cemented my victory now. Yeah, no stealing bases anymore, man. Well, I'm mm. I, <laughs> I'm going to I'm not here just to make people happy. I'm <laughs> <laughs> really cuz I am. <laughs> Paul Sorrento is credited with the first base hit in a regular season game at uh, Camden Yards. Oh wow. There's a little hey. Trivia. That's that's interesting. Yep. All right. So my final card, one of my favorite members of the Hammers, 
and Padres of all time. It's Ryan Klesko. Ryan Klesko. Uh, Ryan Anthony Klesko. 16 years in the big leagues. That's a good career right there. Eight with Atlanta, seven with the Padres, and then apparently a very forgettable final year in 2007 with the with the Giants. I don't recall that at all. Hmm. 1997 with Atlanta, played in 143 games, split time between left field and first base, hit 261, 334 on base, 490 slugging, 24 home runs, 84 RBI. Let's see, that is good for a 111 OPS plus and a .4 war. For Klesko, uh, he does have fake stirrups, but he's got eye black as well, so that will just be a wash. I'll be a .4, and that will take my uh, my total to 28.9, which, if Ouch. I crunch the numbers, is higher than your 17.9. <laughs> wow, dude, you're on a roll. That is two in a row and two yeah. huge. Like, I clobbered you. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not even close. All right, so we went through and we added up the four cards that I chose to disregard two Hall of Famers in Eddie Murray and Jim Tomei, and then Gary Sheffield and Carlos Baerga. Those four cards added up to 11.2 on their own. So not quite would have beat you with just those four cards. If I would have lost the last four cards, I would have missed out on Gwen. Ah. But I I think I, I think I still would have beat you, but I don't have any doubt about it. That is a great pack. That, that I opened there. That's, that's pretty, got some. That's Hall of Fame pack worthy. Yeah, because you got Fernando, even though it was the end of his career. The uh, the Murray, it was his final year in the career in his career. But I got four Hall of Famers in this pack. That's ridiculous. That man. is ridiculous. I got Griffey. I got Gwen, Murray, and Tome. Then you add in Sheffield, Bayerga, Alf, uh, Edgardo Alfonso, J.T. Snow, and Fernando Valenzuela. I'll take this team. Plus, you got Klesko in there. He's no kidding. Yeah, that's uh, that is a and Ray Montgomery. We don't want to forget well, him. Yeah, don't forget that guy. Twenty eight point nine to seventeen point nine. I won by eleven point. I won by the amount that those four players that I I took off. Yeah, that that was. I thought you'd screwed yourself over, pal, with those picks. But uh, your cuts were better than my pack almost. Yeah. All right, so it's three to two on the scoreboard. That is going to wrap up this episode of Wax Packs Heroes. It's also going to do it for our episode this week. It's been fun talking about Wade Boggs. We've been doing some fun stuff on social media. We've been playing some games. We had an all teal day the other day where I just posted teal pictures of Marlins that uh, a lot of people seem to like. So uh, make sure to uh, follow us on social media. You find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, all that. Also, we get a lot of emails. Mark's going to tell you how to do that. Yes, you can reach us on email at Two Strike Noise. Make sure you spell it out. TWO Strike Noise at gmail.com. With that, we will see you next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.